Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And man, we have a big stack for you today. There are so many comics. Big ass stack. And uh, you can tell that Zalvin's still juiced (laughs) from his time in the DC Dome. We got DC for days. I'll tell you what. I mean, I know I sent a lot of DC stuff. But I also sent a lot of image stuff over and a lot of Marvel stuff because there were a lot of really interesting comics that came out this week that I'm excited to talk about. I definitely was like, oh, usually what we do, this is too much pulling back the curtain, but usually what we do is we'll be like, let's choose two or three from each publisher to kind of vary it a little bit. But I found myself sending you guys email being like, here's 16 titles for Bimage. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't restrain myself because, like, what, like, I had, there were things that are not in this stack that I was like, oh, we should really talk about that too. But I'm already sending so many titles. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And it's like, uh, Image puts out such great stuff, you know, it's hard not to talk mm-hmm. about one of those books. Plus, you gotta, you know, you gotta also, you know, you got to put your flash in there because you fucking love the flash. So, I mean, there's certain things I that do, you got to do. I do. Well, you can always tell me, Pete. I'm, all, I'm an open book. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm happy to do. This is one of my choices. I know you don't like about this, like this book at all, uh, but let's kick off with it. Uh, Lock and Key in Pal Battalions <laughs> Go, number one from IW. Storytellers, Gabriel Rodriguez and Joe Hill. Oh, my God. I screamed. When I saw this, so excited. Now this is it's back. Ah, what? It's like hearing your favorite song on the radio when we were yes. old and songs came on the radio. I was just so happy to have this back in my stack. Yes, uh, I can't believe it. I mean, nervous too, right? Because yeah. for those of you who've been listening to a while, you know this. But for anybody who's new to our podcast. We've been in the tank with the lock and key pretty much since the beginning. Like, this has been our title. We have loved this book. It ran and ended perfectly. We did a spinoff lock and key podcast called Lock and Key Unlocked. So going back to that well again, even though they've done stories uh, in one shot. well. Sh- I get well. it. Yeah. yeah. Even though they've done stories and one shots here and there, this is full-fledged getting back into Lock and Key. Like, In Battalions Go is now three issues. It's going to be followed up by Hell and Gone, which is the crossover with the Sandman universe. And then presumably it's going to go right into whatever is next. Maybe World War Key, maybe something else. But it's the next six volumes, potentially, of Lock and Uh, Key, which is huge. Also, the thing that I've been worried about is Gabriel Rodriguez, probably the most adorable human being. Uh, I follow him on Twitter, so every sketch I'm, like, liking, obsessing over, being like, oh, my God, look at this. But now I'm like, oh, I've read 
I've read it. I've seen all the sketches. Like, I'm worried that it was going to affect how I read the book moving forward. It was definitely a situation where I was so excited, but when I got to that cover, I was worried, is the magic going to be gone? Is it going to hit in the same way? And I'll tell you, the magic is not gone. (laughs) It's not gone. It's not. This is So this is going back in time. This is not the same characters from the first Lock and Key uh, series of series. Uh, this is showing us Chamberlain Locke, who showed up a couple of bit, a couple of one shots. Also, Johnny Locke, his kid. And Johnny Locke wants to go to war. That's what he really wants to do. He wants to go to fight in, I believe, the First World War. But he's too young. He's too little. And I don't, I don't really want to spoil much in this book. But if you've never read Locke and Key before, you can get right in because this is relatively speaking new characters. But man, there are at least two sequences in here that I think are on par with the best they've done in the series. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, also, they keep it real. They're like, hey, you, you think kids are creepy? Don't worry about it. We're going to lean on that <laughs> like you can't <laughs> fucking believe. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's impressive. It feels like a brand new thing, but kind of similar stuff. And I, I like the way it starts. It's like, this is a key house. Look how fucked up all these keys are. Let's roll. And it's kind of like a twisted Captain America story because, mm-hmm. like, Captain America was too wimpy. Was, they, he tried to enlist, like, a bunch of times. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of that in a, in, a, in a little darker way. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, it's also the thing that's kind of fascinating about reading this one is for the most part, and it seems like it's going to be very different in subsequent issues, but it's a much quieter start. It's a very quiet, yeah. simple start. The characters are already there. but Which to your makes po- me nervous. <laughs> Absolutely. But to your point, the thing that's kind of neat about it is versus what happens with the Locke family in the first couple of series, they slowly unfold what these keys are, how they work, what's going on versus back in time in uh, 1918 or whatever this is. I believe it's 1918. We're getting to see a family that's like, yes, we know about the keys. We all use the keys. They're all available to us. So it's all yeah. out there. So it's a very different it's, ball game than what happened previously. Yeah, and that's also what kind of is tough after reading the other series and then reading this. Like, we went through so much to get some of these keys, and they are so casual <laughs> with some of the most powerful keys that you're like, ah, <laughs> I'm I'm so excited. Uh, uh, Both of them, they haven't missed a step in terms of their storytelling. Also, Jay Photos uh, on Colors, I believe, uh, does a phenomenal job as always. But it's just, it's so calming and nice in a way to see, again, the way Gabriel Rodriguez in particular plays with repeated panels, but varies them every single time and uses them for tension and suspense and building. Still one of the most impressive series. How does that adorable of a man have such a dark side? (laughs) I don't know. But also what's cool is um, playing with different ideas, like the anywhere key, like, we never really saw what it's like for the other person in the room when somebody just walks out a door. Mm-hmm. Like, the look on that dude's face is unbelievable. Fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Uh, without spoiling much more, if you're a fan of Lock and Key or not, definitely pick up this book. This is wonderful. 
I can't Absolutely wait. wonderful. I can't wait to read more, and I also can't wait to see how this eventually seemingly sets up the Sandman crossover, because this started as a small, as far as uh, Gabriel Rodriguez taught, told us, I believe, it started as a two-issue thing, but now seems to be a six-issue event. Great. Give me more. I want more. Just put her directly in my veins. (laughs) Please, more. More, please. Yeah, never stop. Uh, Next up, (laughs) this is a big issue of the week. Came out. I don't care what it costs you. (laughs) Never stop. (laughs) I don't care if you die. Give me more Rocky Geek. Batman Three Jokers, number one from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johnson, illustrated by Jason. How are you going right from like the big ones? Like you're just right on the This is, you got to lead. You got to hit them hard, fast to suck them in, Pete. You got to build. Show business one on one. Oh man, you gotta build. No, you don't, man. Start from the beginning. I learned that in the YouTube days. Oh boy. In the YouTube days, you put the uh when you're making a comedy video, you put the joke in the headline. That's how it sucks people in. Nope. Same sort of thing. Suck them in. Give away the joke. But I'll tell you what, this this stack, in case you're worried from what Pete's saying, all gems. Get ready, folks. You're in for a ride here. Batman Three Jokers. This is a highly anticipated event. It's been building. They've been working on it for years at this point. And this is, in case you couldn't tell from the title, uh, I I, I don't know. I was trying to think how to explain (laughs) this. And it is so hard for me to wrap my head around because continuity has gotten so convoluted in the DC universe. I have no idea where this fits, but it's essentially Jeff Johns being like, how do we grapple with the idea that there's all these different jokers, which is something that has already kind of been grappled with and moved beyond with the DC universe since they first posited this idea. But here we've got the Joker, the original Joker, like the more criminal Joker. We've got the Joker from the killing joke. And we've got the Joker who's like, I do Shapes and jests and make fish smile. Yeah, the, clown, <laughs> the clown, the clown. So what's crazy is it's almost like two fans are talking at a con where it's like, how are, is it just me or does it seem like there are very different jokers? Yeah, right. It seems like there's not the same joker when the joker comes back around. So it's, it's an interesting idea to start with. And Jeff Johns, an amazing writer, he's done a lot of work in television and, uh, and amazing movie stuff. But, like, this seems like an idea that he was like, I want to try this. I really want to have some fun. And holy shit, Black Label, Three Jokers, 50 pages. Mm-hmm. This thing is a lot, and it gets into it. And you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to he- see the origin story again. You're getting it. You know what? You want to, you're getting everything in this book. It yeah. fucking like relaunches the whole DC fucking Batman thing. It's crazy. It's, it's interesting to read, and it was hard, like I touched on before, for me to separate from continuity. To me, it feels like Doomsday Clock, where it was this thing that, frankly, just took too long to come out, you know, just in terms of how we're reading monthly comics, but eventually we'll loop back and wrap around to continuity once it's done, whenever they finish it off. But in terms of itself standing as an issue, Jason Fabuk draws uh, superheroes like nobody else. Like his superhero art is phenomenal. The way Jeff Johns writes Batman in particular is so fascinating. Like the dialogue. I love the fact that it's clear Batman, uh, he gets he gets across very simply the dialogue that Batman 
already kind of essentially knows there are three Jokers. There yeah. is not one Joker. There is not copycats. There are actually three Jokers. But it's not something he is prepared to say out loud yet. <laughs> and that happens throughout the book where uh, Harvey Bullock is like, wait, what are you talking about, Batman? And Batgirl is like, what are you talking about? Jason Todd is like, what are you talking about? The dialogue is so expert and so well done here. And even if I have trouble understanding what this book is and wrapping my head around it, it's still expertly done at the same time. Uh, yeah, I think it's what's great is it like has a very interesting start. It starts on like Batman scars, you know, like what Batman has been through mm-hmm. and then kind of like really just goes all right, now we're going to talk about the Jokers and, like, then the Robins. Well, and hold then- on. I, I want to I talk about that scar sequence because I thought it was so wonderfully done. Uh, the, I mean, first of all, it made me think, wait, how does Bruce Wayne ever hook up with anybody without being anybody being like, what happened to you, you know? Yeah. But the way that's paced is phenomenal because it starts with – He got the scar from Catwoman. He got the scar from Killer Croc. He got the scar from the Penguin. He got the scar from the Joker. He got the scar from the Joker. He got the scar from the Joker. Joker. And it just hits it over and over again. Great. Just like the pacing of it. It feels like where Jeff Johns was trying to ape Alan Moore with Doomsday Clock, he learned lessons and applied them to three Jokers that feel more organic here. In terms of the pacing and the paddle structure. Yeah, I think at, at first you're like, holy crap, 50 pages, it seems like too much. But man, it really gives you a lot. And it gets you very excited for this idea that he's trying to do and this series moving forward. I'm really looking forward to the next issue. And I got to say, I fucking hate that Robin at the end, man. That was really driving me Jason fucking Todd? Nuts. Yeah, not a fan. Well, Jason Todd is the worst. He's the worst Robin, like definitively. I did. Let's spend more time on this hot garbage. I mean, listen, like this is very much getting into spoilers. So if you haven't read it, turn away. But I appreciate the fact that he's drilling, not being like, we've got to get the entire Bat family together. We're all on this. But instead, focusing on the three people who have been most hurt by the Joker, who are Jason Todd, Barbara Gordon, and Bruce Wayne, and seeing what emotionally it does with them. And though I don't like and also don't believe that Jason Todd actually killed the Joker at the end of the book, I loved what it did to Barbara Gordon and his exchange where... They're fighting. She throws the batarang. He kills the Joker and says, Barbara, when have you ever missed? What what a great line. Like, what a great line. And her reaction there, the way that Jason Fabuk emotionally plays it, so smart. So even though I may have some things that are holding me back a little from this book, I think it's expertly done. And particularly if you want a really, really good Batman story. Yeah, we're it checking out for sure. Let's move into this one, which... Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about Pete Daredevil annual number one from Marvel written by Chip Zdarsky pencils by Manuel Garcia. When I saw the title of this issue was one more day. I could not wait to talk to you about it. Pete. <laughs> Couldn't wait. Why? Couldn't what wait. are you doing? I, I what? giggled. I giggled. I read it. 
And I was like, yeah, one more D-Day is right, you fuckers. <laughs> uh, but this book has nothing to do with one more day, the Spider-Man It's event. one more exactly. day with a stutter. It's one more d-dare. day. Yeah, don't make fun of people with stutter. Plenty of people I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying. One know, more D-Day. Play- yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this is focusing on Mike Murdoch, who is the twin brother who was created. Why? Why are you focusing on Mike Murdoch? Well, because he's this dangling plot line that Jip Zdarsky has going on uh, from Charles Soule's run, I think, actually, right? He's not Kite Man. This isn't worth fucking focusing on a side character that'll pay off. I'm I thought this was skeptical. a really good story. So the idea of this story is Mike Murdoch feels like half a person, so he steals a Nornstone from... Uh, the hood and inserts himself into history. So rather than being this weird thing that was created, he's already always existed and he's real. And as a character study of what it would mean to have somebody grow up opposite Matt Murdoch, I thought it was very smartly written and very well done. I'm very skeptical, but I'm interested to read more. (laughs) Thank you for the pregnant pause. Nailbiter returns number four from Image Comics Story and Art by Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson. This is continuing the storyline where there's a bunch of butchers, a.k.a. themed serial killers, loose in buckaroo, and they're going hog wild. Uh, And uh, our main characters are being assaulted, including the titular man Nailbiter himself, uh, we talked about this with the previous issues, but man, the, just the balls to the wall action here is so great and so fun to read. It's so bloody and gory and so different from what they did in the first series. It's great. Yeah, it kind of feels a little bit like a video game, and that's uh, because of all the action. But very interesting. The art alone is worth picking this up. Oh, drink. It's it's, uh, it's great. It, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm nervous about what, how this is going to unfold, but so far, all in. Yeah, this is just uh, a f- bloody, gory, disgusting fun, but fun. Uh, definitely pick this up. Next up, Canto 2, The Hollow Men, number one from IDW, story by David M. Boer and art by Drew Zucker. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we had Drew Zucker on our show. I don't know. Time has no meaning, but like a year yeah. ago something like that. You can go back and listen to the live show. Uh, But to talk about Canto before it came out, it's basically mildly influenced by Oz. It's about a bunch of clockwork men who are trying to save the world. Um, In particular, Drew Zucker's art is great. Just like the world that he's created is fascinating. Uh, The creatures are weird and interesting. And the idea of this little clockwork boy who is the only one who could save the world it's strange in exactly the right way. Yeah, it's absolutely adorable, but like a very interesting story of someone who the only one who can kind of love and uh, the adventure that he goes on. It's the character designs are so great and fun. It's really creative. It's very interesting. I, I, I'm very, very excited about this comic. Yeah, I like it too. And it's also, it's a little dark, but I think it could still work as an all ages read potentially. So if you're looking for something for older kids who are interested in wizard of Oz, this is a good one to check out next up. One that's decidedly not for kids. The last God, number eight from DC comics created and written by Philip Kennedy Johnson art by Ricardo Frederici, Frederici, 
Uh, man, just another amazing issue of this book. Like, it does not come out frequently enough, but it's so good. Yeah, this is very, very cool. I mean, the the team and the different characters are great. Uh, this is a very cool story, amazing art. It, it really seems like a very epic tale. Uh, I'm excited for more. This is so in this issue, you can see the Lord of the Rings influence a little bit because it's yeah. like, what if the fellowship had to go beneath the mountain and commune with the dwarves, but the dwarves were all really fucked up, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that's basically what it is. Uh, but it's even worse than that. And Ricardo Frederici's art is phenomenal and some of the monsters are terrifying in this book um i th- there's touches here that remind me a little bit of curing gillen's die you know just in terms oh, yeah. of like the the politics of how they're working with the different creatures and the beings uh there's a lot of smart stuff going on here and it's a really fleshed out world yeah i i'm i really like the monster that the the lady archer rides uh yeah I'm excited. It does a great job of kind of like expanding the world in this issue, and I'm excited to see how this moves forward. Of course you like that. That's a big dog that eats people. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, When you read Cujo, you uh, rooted for Cujo, right, Pete? Who doesn't? (laughs) X-Men number 11 from Marvel Comics, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Lineal Francis Yu. It is wild to me that this book is crossing over with empire. Like of all the books that could cross over with this plant people invaded the earth thing. Why not fuck Island? Well, but every, almost everything else, like there's some fantastic four stuff going on. I don't think Avengers is crossing over in it. Everything else is a spinoff. There's even a empire X-Men spinoff. So there's no reason for empire to also cross over with X-Men, but Jonathan, Nick would be like, yeah, why not? Let's do, several pages that don't seemingly connect with the main story and then have Magneto go hog wild on some planet. Yeah. It's basically Magneto has just finished a fuck fest and is kind of like doing a little Zen kind of like trying to get his shit together. And then it's like, Hey, can you just lose your mind and kill a bunch of people? Yeah. Yeah. I can do that, man. There's a line in here where he gets magma to pull up a volcano, not on Krakoa, but near Krakoa, because they don't want to cause an ecological disaster, and then Iceman to cool it down. And I think the line is something Magneto like, hmm, sharp sticks of metal created by cooled molten lava. Now, what could I do with that? And then there's just a scene of, like, carnage. It's... Great. Shred my enemies? Yeah, I could do that. I'm Magneto. I just got finished fucking on on this whole island, so I'm ready, I'm ready for some fighting now. Do you want to hear a crazy fact that I found out earlier today? And I don't know if this is true with the comics, but there was that uh, scuttled animated pilot called Pride of the X-Men. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody put up, and you could probably search for this on Twitter, somebody put up a height chart they had made for the characters in the show. Uh, like how tall they were. Magneto, Mm -hmm. at least in that show, I don't know if this is something they've carried over to the comics, at least in the show, is uh, six foot, ten inches tall. Wow. (laughs) Almost seven feet? That's... Oh, you're not phased by that? Yeah, I don't don't know how tall Magneto is. is, That's crazy tall. That's almost seven feet tall. That's insane. Okay. 
Right. How tall is Rogue? Uh, they used to kiss. I I want to know is uh, how I can't believe that you lost it over that line with the with the magma shards when he's just standing there doing like a villain monologue and the whole time he's just like mm, just just gonna kind of keep talking here until I can get this satellite to fall <laughs> on your head. <laughs> the whole the thing, fuck? I man, I mean, we know Lydia Francis Yu is fantastic as an artist, but the way Jonathan Hickman writes Magneto in particular is so good. Like the fact that he's threading this needle of yes, the Magneto is on Magneto is on X Men's side, but it's not in the past where Magneto's like, I feel really bad about everything. I want to yeah. be part of the X Men and save the world. He's like, nope. Same Magneto, <laughs> same evil <laughs> asshole who yeah. seems very this righteous is... about stuff. Like uh, Jonathan Hickman, particularly when it comes to regal characters, writes them so well. And forgetting what ha- we haven't even talked about what happens in the first couple of pages, which is insane. And I don't know what's going on there. Uh, but the Magneto portion of the book is so good. And even if you haven't been into Empire, just pick this up because it is a wild ride. Yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't been like, oh, yeah, this Hickman thing is kind of crazy, I'm not sure about it, pick up this issue because it's really a Magneto badass issue and it's worth it for that. Let's move on to talk about Ghosted in L.A., number 12 from Boombox, created and written by Cena Grace, illustrated by Shoban... uh, Keenan, uh, this is the last issue of this title. We talked about a couple of issues throughout the run. Uh, this is basically Melrose Place with ghosts. Is I think the best way of describing it. Um, I I was bummed to hear this is ending because I feel like I almost feel like the story was just getting started in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of a, a little upset about this issue because like. I really loved it. I felt like there was a lot of different places it could have gone. And then with this last issue, it kind of jumped the shark where it was like, we're making a comic of this comic that you're reading. And I was like, but (laughs) this has been a really great kind of run, a great series, amazing art, fun storytelling. I think it's uh it's been a real f- enjoyable read. I agree, particularly now that it's done. If you did miss it, go back, check out the volumes. It's sweet, it's funny. Uh the characters are cute throughout. Uh and uh it's good. It's good stuff, but I wish it would, it would you, go on further. Was it just me? Did that bother you a little bit the the way kind of she was like I want to get into cartooning and making comic books about the, this very thing. I, I don't mind that. I, I understand why that was the ending. I think I think it was but more for me think- like the ghost apartment stuff is so much more interesting than anything else that was going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once that was resolved, it felt like. Ah, that's all right. Whatever her job is, that's cool. I, I don't need to know that. But yeah, but. But was there a moment where you thought maybe the ghosts were real because we're reading a comic made by ghosts? What? Because if I think that's every true, comic is made by ghosts, Pete. <laughs> but if I don't true, see them, so saying, they have to be ghosts. She's literally saying, I'm going to make a comic about this true story that happened to me, and we're reading it. So that means the ghosts were real. Oh, man. 
Go surreal. Confirmed on this podcast. Next up, Black Magic number 13 from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka and art by Nicholas Scott. I do not remember the last time this title came out. It's <laughs> certainly been a while. Uh, but this is about a magic detective in, I want to say Portland, because most of Greg Rucka's stuff is set in Portland. Uh, Nicholas Scott art, of course, excellent black and white with flecks of color throughout. Here, our main character is... Uh, trying to wrestle with should she go bad? Should she stay by the straight and narrow? She kind of threads the needle a little bit and we end with a absolutely terrifying last page. What'd you think oh about this issue, God. Pete? Yeah, this is super scary ending. Like, just one of those classic great last panels, last pages. Uh, this series has been so great. Unfortunately, because it has been coming out irregular, it'd be fun to read in the trade. But I love the creativity behind this comic. It seems like a cool idea and, and uh, a kind of a new take. And the art really kind of makes it separate from others. Uh, but yeah, just uh, definitely worthwhile picking this up. Yeah, uh, real good. I do wish it came out more frequently. Uh, next up, though, The Flash, number 760 from DC Comics, there written by go. Joshua Williamson, art by Christian Deuce and Scott Collins. Pete, you got to be psyched with this. You are the Flash fan on the podcast. What do you think? Yeah, well, I thought it was hilarious that it started with the flashes being all zen and not moving. And I was like, oh, man, that's really that's funny. That's Max Mercury, man. He's the guru of flashes. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, just be still. Okay, just because you're the flash doesn't mean you have to constantly be in motion, you know? Just maybe we don't move, you know? <laughs> uh, but um, from there, you know, uh, I I like the part that it was like, hey, I know we're villains, but... Digging up a body is creepy <laughs> as fuck. I don't want to do it. Well, I, one of like the things that, that I, I think, like that hard stance. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, one of the things that I like about Flash that was set up really nicely, particularly by Jeff Johns during his run, is that the rogues have a code to them. You know, they want to rob banks and then just that's their job. Like they don't, they don't revel in it. They don't have fun with it. They, you know, they might have a little bit of fun, but it's mostly about like, yeah, we robbed the banks to get money so we can get beer and hang out. And that's what we and pay for our cable. You know, that, that is our MO. It's not about we're going to take over central city or anything like that. And the flash keeps fucking that up for us. It's like if you were doing your job, Pete, and the flash kept coming in and being like, I'm going to arrest you and start punching you a bunch. You were like, what the fuck? What are you doing, Barry? Come on. Yeah. But what I like about this issue in particular, what I like about this art is the art. Uh, the arc is the art, excuse me. Uh, Christian Deuce on the real world sequences is a great superhero art. The Jay Garrick, uh, Barry Allen slash Zoom fight is real good. Scott Collins is the Flash artist, so seeing him on the Speed Force sequences is great. And I love... There's a big spoiler, but bringing back, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his name, but Bart's arch enemy who was set up during when he took over being the Flash for a little while is very cool. So it's just this great, honestly, very confusing because it is confusing, but great deep dive through Flash continuity. So if you're a fan, it's mostly about like, hey, remember this character? Now they're back. Now this character's back. Look, it's Tar Pit. You like Tar Pit, right? And I do. So I love it. 
<laughs> but uh, I understand yeah, also, that if you're not a crazy flash fan, it's not quite the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, but it is. There is a fun like last page comic kind of like splash page moment. Really great. That's great. Uh, fun stuff. Next up, here's what you're probably going to have to explain to me, Pete. Mega Man, fully charged, number one for Boom Studios, written by AJ uh, Marchicello, illustrated by Stefano Simeone. Uh, this is also advised, I believe, by your boy Joe Kelly, who uh, who I, has a long history with TV shows and other things. So this is like a yeah. dark modern take on Mega Man. Mega Man is not a video game title that I played at all. I just could not get into what? it. I couldn't. What is your deal, man? Mega Man was the shit back in the day. I don't know, man. It just wasn't my Fuck you. shit. Fuck you. But man. what did you think about this then, Pete? I thought this was very cool. Very interesting kind of take uh, on the idea of Mega Man. Um, I, I thought it was great the way they kind of like moved on. It wasn't just like uh, just a kind of like okay, remember the video game? This is just an expansion of that. It's kind of like a different thing, but with some of the main characters, it's heightened a little bit. So I thought it was very cool. I think it, it as a first issue, it does a great job of like grabbing the reader and getting you excited for this world and what's going on. If you're a Mega Man fan, I think it does a good enough job of like touching on some things and uh, kind of playing with some new ideas. This is... I really like the general feel of this, but I wish in terms of the plot, it was a little more accessible up front. Um, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who doesn't really know Mega Man at all, where they kept mentioning these names of characters, and I kind of vaguely remember them from old issues of Nintendo Power. Uh, but yeah! but mostly, uh, I wasn't 100% sure what was happening. Um, but I like the idea. I like the idea of like a tween dark, gritty Baker Bad. I think that's pretty cool. I just want a little more explanation there, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's that dark and gritty, but I, I see what you're saying. But also the art is fantastic. The art is very good. And I think it's a smart idea to try to hit this. I'm curious to see where it goes and whether it draws me in as a non-Mega Man fan into, for the long term. Uh, next up, let's I'm move in. to another Robot Man Iron Man 2020 number six from Marvel, written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, art by Pete Woods. This is wrapping up the 2020 storyline as Arno and Tony Stark come head to head, try to save the universe and the world. Uh, only there's a little bit of a twist there. Um, I really liked how this played out. I thought this was a surprising twist ending that I was not expecting uh, that I think plays out really well with the characters. Uh, it's a little sad, um, but I think it wraps up the storyline very nicely and moves Iron Man on to the next place. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, you kind of wanted it to end that way, you know, <laughs> they kind what are you, of, what are you dancing but, around? I feel like you're dancing around something. No, no, I just don't want to spoil it. Um, oh, okay. But I think Dan Slott does a great job of like finding humorous moments, especially when he's got like a couple other people he can like write and have cute stuff with. I think this is a, a, a fun book, interesting take, you know, um, a place with the Iron Man universe in a, in a fun way. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, all right. Next up, Bliss, number two from Image Comics, written by Sean Lewis at eight art by Caitlin Yarsky. 
Uh, we had Sean Lewis on our show a couple of weeks back. Definitely go and listen to that to talk about bliss. Uh, this takes place in a world where there is a river of forgetfulness created by the god Leith. There is a boy who is trying to defend his father who worked for the gods who distilled Leith into this drug called bliss that made people forget in front of a trial. We get more revelations about it, this issue. Uh, I really like this issue a lot. I think, like we talked about with the first one, Caitlin Yarsky's art is just very evocative and strange in the right way. Sean Lewis's writing is dreamlike, but at the same time accessible. Uh, good book. Yeah, this is really a kind of fun, creative, fucked up story. Uh, it's like a tripped out Lin-Manuel Miranda is the main character. Uh, I I think this is creative in all the right spots. Really interesting character work, fun storytelling with a little dark, tripped out shit going on. I think this is a fun book. It's one of those things where, like, the first issue did a great job of being like, here's this completely different world, uh, you know, getting everybody kind of like sucked in and on board, and they're doing a good job of like keeping it there. One of the things that I really love about this book is it's almost casual. Uh, inclusion of magic and weird creatures where it's consistently alarming every time it comes up where you're reading this book and you think it almost feels like, Oh, this is a typical dude gets sucked into the drug trade book. And then some turtle type creature shows up and is like, well, I have something to say here. And it is completely throws you for a loop when it happens. And it is part and parcel with the world, but also you have Everybody knows about this in the world. Like, it's not this, it's not the typical, there's a secret society of lizard men who are selling a drug. It's like, no, everybody's aware of the lizard men. They all know the lizard men. (laughs) They know what's going on with him. Uh, And that's what just makes it just feel different from anything else. Uh, Just great book. Definitely pick it up. It's a good one to jump on right now. Next the, up, the coloring, the coloring and stuff is really great, mm-hmm. and it really makes it stand out. I agree. Uh, the question: The deaths of Vic Sage, number four from DC Comics, written by Jeff Lemire and pencils by Dennis Cowan. This is the final issue of this book, which has been also a wild and dreamlike. As the question is explored, his entire history, and finally come to terms with his ultimate enemy, which is Hub City itself. Uh, it all comes down in this issue. What do you think about this one, Pete? Uh, it, it's a, it's a fun kind of like story with great art. Uh, I think it's kind of crazy that like a whole city is an enemy, but like, um, uh, there's also a lot of powerful stuff in here. That's crazy to read now about like the riots and the hangings and kinds of scary fucked up shit. So, uh, it's, it's powerful. It's a powerful stuff. Jeff Lemire, you're not going to be disappointed, but, uh, yeah, the art is also really amazing. The eventual conclusion reminds me a lot of Jeff Lemire's run on Moon Knight in particular. Uh, I feel like he's dealing with similar themes in this issue. But to your point, it's almost, and I hesitate to say this, but it's almost like his Moon Knight run meets Joker, uh, the movie, in a certain way, uh, but actually says it in the right way in terms of what's going on in society and how we fight against injustice. Um, It's a smartly written comic. Like you said, Dennis Cowan's 
Art is fantastic. Just great classic superhero art. Uh, Good book. Definitely one to check out now that it's finished in collection when that comes out. Moving on, Fantastic Four Antithesis, number one from Marvel storytellers Mark Wade and Neil Adams. Speaking of some classic art, this is Mark Wade playing for the Neil Adams to do a good old Fantastic Four story. Fantastic Four doing some stuff, and then they're doing some other stuff. What do you think? Yeah, this is like a kind of classic Neil Adams kind of story, you know. There's a lot going on. It moves real quick. Um, And, you know, classic Fantastic Four. Reed Richards is being a complete dick to his wife. Uh, You know, if you can get past stuff like that, it's enjoyable. I... It's very old school. I mean, this is Mark Wade very specifically writing for Neil Adams in his prime uh, and writing for the Fantastic Four from the 80s. So it feels like a little bit of whiplash going from, say, reading Empire to going and reading this, where the Fantastic Four are very different in that. Um, But if you are looking for a classic tale, I think this is good. And Neil Adams is always good. It's a weird twist at the end, given... I think I want to give a spoiler warning because I want to talk about this a little bit. Three, two, one. But at the end of the issue, the plot of it is Silver Surfer comes to Earth and Galactus is dead. It's weird to read that given that Galactus died and then came back and also now, as of Thor number six last week, is dead again. So it's a lot of killing Galactus, you know? Yeah. Leave, leave him alone. Let him eat some planets. That's all he wants to do, you know? No! No, kill Galactus. Let him live! I wouldn't stop you from going to a buffet, Pete. I'm not going to stop Galactus from eating a couple of planets. He's hungry. Maybe you should stop me from going from a buffet. I mean, it's not safe right now and coronavirus and everything. Yeah. So don't do that. But Galactus, do whatever you want. Just wash your hands first. Oh, my God. Bomb Queen number one from Image Comics by Jimmy Robinson. Here we go. So Bomb Queen, been gone, long time. She's back. This was the original bad girl of supervillains. I'll tell you, I loved Bomb Queen back in the day. I thought it was super fun. Of course you did. You were a pervy little kid. Yeah, I love to, you know, just like, uh, what's the word? Jack off? Do it. Oh my god! <laughs> too much? No, I yeah, didn't. Way but too much. The thing about Bob Queen is like it was always very satirical about politics. It was satirical about the current world. That was the thing, and it was through it sucked you in through oh insanely over the top titillation of the main character and other characters. Uh, but ultimately, it was about satire. That's what it was, and that's what made Bob Queen work. Here, Bob Queen is coming back. She is running against. Not a metaphor, not a fake character, but Donald Trump for the 2024 election. So it is a supervillain versus Donald Trump, who is actually in the comic book running for his third term. Oh, I have Uh some thoughts about this. What would you think about it, Pete? Well, it's just first off, it's horrible to think about. Um, But um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure people love this. You know, and this is specifically, like you said, you know, I'm sure people enjoy this type of thing. Um, So good for those people. And I hope you do enjoy that. And I did appreciate how Trump was portrayed. This is 
painful to read, honestly. I think I think Jimmy Robinson's art is great, as usual. His layouts are ridiculous, and he goes so over the top with the storytelling and everything. So there's nothing wrong with that, and I think he tells the story he needs to tell. But to your point, Pete, not to get too political on this podcast, but when... Uh, Donald Trump is going to the Republican National Convention and saying 12 more years and everybody in the convention is chatting 12 more years, 12 more years. Reading a comic book where he's running for president in 2024 (laughs) is just awful to read. Like it takes me out of the comic book when I'm reading it. This whole idea of setting it in the real world. I appreciate the hubris and the tenacity of actually taking on real world politics. I think that's laudable, but it was very hard for me personally to read this book. Even though there's some good violent over the top sequences in here, there's some good media skewering. There's even a thing where I think Jimmy Robinson is skewering himself. A bunch of people get interviewed about bomb Queens candidacy And there's a character, I don't know what he looks like, but I imagine it's probably Jimmy Robinson saying, come on, bad girl comics are so from the 90s. And I'm like, all right, you know what you're doing here. Like you are aware of it. Um, But again, your mileage may vary. So if you're like kind of whatever about Trump, i.e. if you're a uh, white person of means, then uh, you might enjoy this. Otherwise, it might be really hard for you to read. Sorry, too much, Pete? Yeah. Too much? Yeah, too much. Well, there you go. That's the state of our world today. He sucks. Wonder Woman number 7061 from DC Comics, written by Mariko Tamaki, pencils by Carlo Barberi. We loved the last issue of this book, which found Wonder Woman kind of going up against Maxwell Lord. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, so I figured it was worth checking out this follow-up. Uh, another really good issue with just some really hard decisions for Wonder Woman that I like quite a bit. What'd you think about it, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things where I feel like when you try to explain it, it doesn't come across well, where it's like, she's kind of, uh, fighting things in her mind a little bit, but, uh, I really like the villain reveal at the end. Uh, I'm very much on board to see how things move forward. Exciting to have a woman writing this book. So I'm excited to see what she does. Marika Tabaki is great. She's just on a roll with everything that she's writing. Uh, real good stuff. Uh, another good issue. I wish it was consistent in terms of the artist. I think the last issue was Mikel Janine, um, who is phenomenal. Carlo Barberi is also great, but a very different style. Um, so that was a little bit of an adjustment for me. Uh, but real good storyline. This is one of my favorite uh, Wonder Woman things that have happened in a while. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Next up, Wind Number 3 from Boom Studios, written by James Tyner IV and illustrated by Michael Dynalysis. Uh, it's Dialysis. wind. You got you to hear that Y in there, all right? Wind. Yeah. Wind. You got to... Yeah. A little bit first before yeah. you get into yeah. wind. Uh, so this takes yeah. place in a fantasy world where fantasy elements are very strongly frowned on. Uh, there is a little yeah. kid named Wind who has pointy ears. He's trying to escape from the city. Uh, there's a man named the Bandage Man who is chasing after him. Uh, and this issue, Wind visits a lady who he thinks can cure him of his weirdness. There's a couple of twists there as it goes. Uh, this is great. And uh, like we talked about, I think it was a little down on the pacing of it. 
I still think this is going to be something that is going to read phenomenally in the trade. But man, I love this issue. I love the world building that's going on here. It's crazy to me that uh, how much time they're taking to really get to the plot and eke things out. But it's so good, every issue. Yeah, I really love this issue. The art's fantastic. And is a little bit of the end of this issue is a little bit of a heartbreaker. Um, but I'm very this is just a kind of a cool story. This idea of like magic and and uh, people who are different just being kind of like taken out. Uh, very powerful stuff. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very into this series. Uh, James Tynan, the fourth, just is killing it as always. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes forward, how it goes forward, but I'm all in on this series. Uh, one other thing that I want to mention actually is if you are looking for something that is an all age title that has some LGBTQ plus romance in it, this is one to check out. Like it's very, it's kind of baked in it, but there is a, I assume, gay main couple that is in the book that's going to have uh, more screen time in the next couple of issues. There's also some maybe gay, maybe bisexual crushes that are going on there. Um, so it's like it's very inclusive, very similar to Backstagers, another book that James Tyden wrote. Um, and it's great. Like, I love having that stuff in things that you can hand to older kids and they can get right into. Next up, one I'm sure we'll agree on, The Amazing Spider-Man number 47 from Marvel Comics, written by Dick oh, Spencer, pencils go. by Marcelo Ferreira. I was actually hoping that Justin would be on the show to talk about this one because he's been super into the storyline, in particular, yeah. the Sin Eater coming back, shooting people and making them maybe better. But Spider-Man disagreeing with it. What do you think about this issue, Pete? Well, yeah, what stinks is there. Uh, we don't have Justin here who really enjoys this because he can explain to me why. Why are we here? Why are we? Uh, why is this where Spider-Man is? Why? Why is this happening? Um, so you know, because we don't have those answers, Justin's not here to defend it. We can just sit here and sit in what Nick Spencer created <laughs> for us, and that's an uncomfortable moment. And hopefully, mm. we'll be able to move on from this. But I'm a little mm -hmm. worried about it. As a society, you mean? Well, as, yeah, if society is the comic book readers of the world, then yes. So, I also like this. I think this is really... Explain to me why. So, I think, not the best Spider-Man stories, but good Spider-Man stories can often hold a reflection to Spider-Man and show what happens if he goes too far, right? Like... You look at the classic introduction of the Punisher, and that was the point there. Oh, is, don't try, don't try to in introduce the Punisher shit. No, but like that's what this is—that's what this is about. Like the reason the Punisher was first introduced was to show what if Spider-Man went too far and started punching people to death. What if he started shooting them? What would happen? And would he cross that line? And ultimately, meeting the Punisher proves to Spider-Man. No, I wouldn't ever do that. That's not what I'm about. That's not the line that I'm going to cross. Sin Eater now is doing that the same way, but the twist that it's seemingly Sin Eater has these magic guns that shoot criminals and make them better. And what he finds out this issue is that Sin Eater shot Overdrive, but it wasn't actually Sin Eater's gun that hurt Overdrive. It was the cops that actually put him in a coma. Uh, and that mixes up 
and challenges Spider-Man's morality. That's what I think they're doing with that storyline. Ultimately, we're going to get to a place where, of course, Sin Eater is going too far. Of course, Sin Eater is bad. Of course, Spider-Man is in the right. But allowing him to continually explore this and find out, like, be challenged morally and ethically is a great place to put Spider-Man because Spider-Man really is all about ethics. Like that's who he is. He's not the strongest hero. Except except if the devil offers him a fucking sweet deal, then of course he throws ethics out the fucking window. In an I instant, just, I, in an instant, if the devil comes by, he's like, whatever you want, I don't care. And the devil's like, just, well, I was going to offer so to save you after. He's like, I don't care. Take my marriage. I, I don't want it anymore. I, I, I'm done. I, I like the idea of uh, Spider-Man realizing that cops are, uh, you know, not all cops are great or maybe cops right now are, are, are killing black people, but like something like that. But uh, I do like challenging Spider-Man. That's always a, a cool, interesting thing because he is supposed to be kind of like the morality of the Marvel Universe um, in some ways. But uh I'm just not feeling it. And maybe it's just my own bias from Nick Spencer hurting me before that I'm not really open to this idea yet. Um, but yeah. Uh, what if I introduced it as it's written by Sick Nepenser? Oh, man. Totally different. <laughs> Chew number two from Image Comics, written and lettered by John Lehman and drawn and colored by Dan Boltwood. This is a prequel to Chew, spelled C-H-E-W. This is Chew, spelled C-H-U. And this is focusing on a couple of different members of the Chew family, though still bringing in Tony Chew. Uh, still great. Still funny. Still enjoying this, Pete. What'd you think? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, the first Chew did such a great job that the second Chew is still cool and still kind of carrying forward with this idea of people who can eat things and then kind of have like have powers and uh, what they're going to do. So uh, the art's unbelievable. Storytelling's great. There's humor. There's grossness. It's a, It's a good time. Yeah, it's uh, classic John Lehman stuff. We meet a guy named Mr. Burner who could chop people with his hands uh, in half. Very fun stuff. I enjoyed it. Next up, Justice League Dark, number 25 from DC Comics, written by Ram V and art by um, uh, Manke uh, Nahulpan. Uh, this is continuing the story of the Justice League Dark versus the Upside Down Man. It's not James Tynan, though. I was a little surprised about that. Instead, it's a new writer taking it over, continuing the conflict. What would you think, Pete? You seem to be super into this one. Yeah, this was a great issue. Um uh, it starts off with the young Zatanna, one of my favorite characters. I love this kind of idea of hitting this again. There's the, there's always a cost with using magic. Um, the the swamp thing stuff in this is amaze balls, just absolutely so badass. I literally laughed out loud at a couple panels. Just couldn't believe how much fun I was having with this book. Um, great last panel. Uh, this is definitely one of my favorites of the stack. Uh, this was, uh, I highly recommend checking this out. Interesting. I like this, but I did feel like there was something missing without James Tynan's writing a little bit. Um, fuck you. 
Don't put Sorry. that on the new writer. That has nothing to do with the new writer. You know what I mean? Like, enjoy this book for what it's giving you. Can we talk about the Swamp Thing? I mean, come on! The Swamp Thing stuff was great. Like I said, I still enjoyed it. I think it was still good. But there was something about the way James Townend structures these stories that feels like we talked about incessantly, more like old school X-Men to me, where it just ramps up the danger, makes them make terrible snakes. And here it felt like a very good magical superhero book, you know, which I hear you, but I just think your love of JT four shouldn't get in the way of what this book is bringing. They've upgraded from JT four to Ram five. So, you know, it's all good. All right. I'm just saying, don't hate something that doesn't deserve hate. No, no. That's what I'm saying is like, it's an upgrade, clearly, from four to five. So there you go. Next thing, (laughs) Wicked Things number four from Boombox, created and written by John Allison, art by Max Sarin. Man, I love this book. This is about a teen detective who has been framed for murder. She is now teaming up with the police. She is a prisoner, but she knows more than any of them. In this issue, she is tracking down a phone theft that is happening This issue is great. I love this book. This is the mystery is fun. It's well written. The characters well written. You feel for them. It's funny at the same time. The last panel, two panels, I guess, made me laugh out loud. Uh, I could not love this book more. How do you feel about it, Pete? I I agree with you. This book is a lot of fun. Uh, the art's great. It does a great job of like giving you kind of like emotions in a manga type of way. Um, it, it's it's just a very creative, cool uh, a storytelling thing. The main character does remind me of Kathy a little bit too much, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's just a sorry. Fun can read. I interject one thing? Uh, just yeah. to say one thing. Ack. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, uh, but I just think that like. They're having a blast in this comic, and it comes through. It's one of my favorites to look forward to in the stack, uh, just because they're having a ton of fun. Taking some shots the, at, like, sorry, Apple the st- and iPhones. The stack. Stack. Okay, I see what you're doing there. You see what I did there? Should I do it a couple more times? No, no, please don't. Please don't. Uh, this book is great. Definitely pick it up. Next one, X-Factor number two from Marvel Comics, written by Leah Williams, art by David Baldion. Uh, I was in love with the first issue of this book, so I was very excited to check out the second one. Um, this is less a done-in-one mystery and instead a fun lark with the characters in the book heading to the Mojoverse to interact with Mojo and his, of course, new updated social media-inspired TV project. I still really enjoyed it. It's just absolutely, it's very funny. It's very fun. Uh, Leah Williams has a good handle on the characters. It's packed with so many details and creativity throughout. And David Baldion's art is great, as always. Pete, what'd you think about this one? Putting aside your feelings for Dokken. Uh Yeah, I think that, you know, the art is great. Uh, it's a fun idea of a mojo and uh, his kind of like new social media presence is fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, some characters that take away from it. But I think that overall, oh, you which know, characters, if, Pete? I don't want to get. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to hate. But oh, I think that Polaris? if you're like, if you're like, Aurora? hey, you know, I, I'm I'm really North into Star? this. Prodigy. 
Rachel Summers? Oh my god, would you stop? <laughs> um so yeah, you know, if Wait, you're into fuck it? if you're into fuck island, this is just more fun and you know, enjoy it. Enjoy hey, it. You know, now that I think of it, you know who made me laugh out loud several times in the book is uh Dokken? Wolverine's oh <laughs> <laughs> It was great. Lee really? Wallace writes oh, what, great. What about him is so original to you and so great? Oh, my gosh. The way that he's sexually aggressive across the board and everybody oh. hates it. Oh, just Funny great. bit. Yeah. Great funny bit. Does that remind bit. you of you in your life? The point when, so they all need to audition to get into the Mojoverse. And Dokken is like, yeah, I'll take off my pants and <laughs> gets kicked out of the Mojoverse. And Northstar hears that. It's like, what are you doing? What is this? And he's like, sorry, I got to go back now to hang out with your sister. Bye bye. Very funny. Good bits throughout. Nope. No, nope. it's not bit. fun to have that weird pervy friend. Uh, Don't encourage them and shut them down at all costs. Please. If only Dokken would chop up the Punisher again and make him a Frankenstein monster, I would die a happy man. Last but not least. It doesn't make sense. He has a healing factor. You can't have a tattoo, you dumbass. I'm sure they explained it at some point. Last but not least, That Texas Blood, number three from Image Comics by Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Uh, We had Chris Condon on our live show. Definitely check that out. It was great to chat with him. But let's sell him down the river. What did you really think about the book, dude? He's not on the show anymore. He's not on the show. You can be honest. What did you think? Yeah, let's talk about it. That fucking guy's not from Texas. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. No, this is actually... Where's the Taylor Ham in this book? Yeah. Um, I love this book. I think it's great. The sheriff is great. The the, the art's unbelievable. This is really fun storytelling. I love the pace of it. Uh, it's just uh, I, I'm, I'm all in. I, I just can't. I can't. It was one of my favorites in the stack. It's a very enjoyable book. Just a good noir story, and they keep adding and fleshing out different characters in this book. And like we talked about in the live show, it widens out the world in a really nice way. It's a noir story set in a small Texas town, and it's just very well written. Like you said, very well paced. And what I'm nervous about, though, is how he was like got excited when people were talking to him about like, oh, they're, they're just kind of pacing. And it seems like there's a lot of tension, almost like a horror. And then he was like, oh, yeah. Did you notice that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a horror. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. What are we doing to ourselves? It's this really is- good stuff. And, uh, you know, not to call out something else, but if you're a fan of Criminal, this is a good new title to jump on. It has a different feel to it, uh, but it is reminiscent. Uh, great book. And, and the folks, guy, the guy is real smart. He he knows his stuff, so it really seems like he's got great plans for this thing moving forward. Exciting! That's it for the stack. If you'd like to support us, Patreon.com/slash Comic Book Club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at seven PM to crowd. We sure do. Yeah, Crowdcast and YouTube, come hang out, check comic books, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. We'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. <laughs>